Hello and welcome back to season four of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and returning for another go is Ben Summer and Michael Hello. Chudley. How are you doing? Back both. Season four, wow, good. Yeah, I mean, it's season four of the new format. Oh no, sorry, no, the other way around. Season four of Our Generation in general, season four, season three of like our, this sort of format of it. I enjoy Sorry. that it's season four and fourth manager, but actually season three, we'd only had one manager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you put it like that. Um, yeah. What have we got to show for ourselves in, uh, in four seasons? God. Uh, a couple of, a couple of interviews, a couple of, one really spicy interview. <laughs> like, Yeah, one interview that we don't talk about. Um, and... Which, I, but by the way, I wish we kept up. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, this is the Todd Kane one. We can we can talk about that. I wish we kept the Todd Kane interview on the website, well, the thing but is, we were the, young and naive. Well, <laughs> since we're going on the first diversion of the season, he has been released, hasn't he, by Coventry? Let's and, get him. And someone, I think it was their other right back again. <laughs> He's also oh, uh, Dabo, released. yeah. After, yeah, after missing the penalty at Wembley, they didn't sacked him essentially <laughs> it's a great way for, for Dabo to for his his commentary career to go the same way as Todd Kane's that's not yeah. something that you want to sort of have attached but, to you but he said something about bad eggs or like yeah he's got and and it's like well you know because there can't be many bad eggs in that squad it's no. a good squad and they seem to be pulling in the right direction so yeah, but nobody's asked the important question, which is, does Todd Kane know that he's categorically a better footballer than Dabo? <laughs> Where's Dabo been out on loan while, uh, while Todd Kane was having his £15 million pound bids put 12, in? He didn't have a £12 million offer from Sheffield United, did he, Dabo? My favourite part about that, by the way, I, I'm going to fact-check this and you'll have to remove it if it um, if I'm wrong about this. But I'm pretty sure Todd Kane was on record. It wasn't. He changed the amount that he said the offer was for. Um, but in an interview when he was at Chelsea, um, he said that uh, Chelsea didn't get his multi-million pound deal through because they were too busy trying to sign Gonzalo Higuain. And it's like, oh yeah, you're Todd Kane, mate. But like, this is not the priority. <laughs> I've got you. You'll genuinely have to edit that out if I'm wrong on it. Hang on, carry um, on amongst yourselves. Anyway, uh, you know, true to form, uh, all three of us turn turn up late in some fashion. Uh, Ben's already had IT issues. Uh, and Mike is recording in a slightly odd place in the building that he's in. So we're ticking boxes straight away. This is the, our generation on there that you know and that you love or that you briefly tolerate. Um, and we're back. And there's a lot of stuff to cover because the only reason that I'm actually here doing this right now, this early sort of in the season, is that there's been too much news. And if I left it any longer, we would have about a three-hour podcast record and preview the first game of the season. Um, with that in mind, you know, we've had a, such a weird season just gone. Um, and ahead of us, we've probably got an even weirder season because already we've seen calls for the managers to be sacked. We've got no director of football, a keyboard member just left. Um, and if you bring your boots and a QPR shirt to the first game, you might actually get into the starting 11 at the very least, you get into the squad because we have like. 10 players we've taken them all out to austria and we have nine now because one of them's just gone off to glasgow rangers um so 
ignoring all that, have you enjoyed the summer so far? I have, yeah. You, you missed uh, an essential bit of QPR news there, actually. Well, I, we will come to the incoming transfers. I think that's what no, 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 no. Okay. Um, Joey Barton shared an Andrew Tate post on Twitter. Oh, that's lovely. Absolutely can we, can lovely. We banned ban both his. Actually, do you know what? I can I can almost tolerate and Andrew Tate more than I can tolerate Joey Barton's name. <laughs> that's an outrageous claim. Can we ban Joey Barton's name from this pod, please. We'll ban both. I think we're very safe to ban both. We'll ban both. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, agreed. And, uh, well, we might have to bring him up when we discuss the departure of Tony Fernandez. But what's Andrew Tate got to do with that? <laughs> do you not know? Like... <laughs> oh God. Okay, transfers then. Let's start with some topical debate about some very decisive, divisive things from last season. Um, there's been a few. Um, well, technically three. More recently, two transfers in. Uh, Paul Smith returns. And then we also have uh, the left-back from Fulham, uh, Laketch, I believe. Is that how you pronounce his name? I hope it is. And um, Richards is staying. So that's your third signing. Even though, uh, to be honest, that is a new player. Because he didn't play last season at all. <laughs> so... <laughs> you beat me to it. You beat me to the <laughs> But you can tell when I wrote this. Uh, script because I've got at the end of transfers in Balogun with a question mark next to it, uh, which was, you know, after today, we'll all know that he's not signing for QPR. He's gone back north of the border to uh, McBeal. And I think at some point last season, Ben, you said we all just need to sort of forget McBeal, move on from him. It was a long time ago. It's at least two managers ago. Is just get behind Ainsworth, let's forget about it. Yet we, we're not allowed to because this is happening. You've had Balogun training with us all summer on a free deal, not under contract. That happens all the time. That's fine. He goes out on pre-season tour with us. I'm inclined to say that's something that happens less often. If you go on pre-season tour, not like you're signed in, but it feels like at that point, most players would actually be on the books, you know? Yeah, I, I, I thought when I saw that he went on the tour that there's probably a good chance for signing him. I also think the correct decision has been made. I don't have this sort of grand issue with him going on the tour that a lot of people seem to have on social media. Um, I'm more than happy for Ainsworth to have like had a look at him and assessed him um, in a sort of more injury-free state than he had him for the majority of the season. But I mean, he was okay when he played. He didn't light up the room particularly. Um, he's a bit older. He's got a bit of an injury record. It is a bit of a hangover from McBeal. Um I'm not going to pass comment on all this sort of stuff about like how genuine his injuries were and stuff because I just think I don't know. Um, but he's not a player that I was ever desperate to have around again, so I'm okay with it. Micah, I know you love the sort of discourse around this. How do you feel? It's been great fun today, isn't it? On uh, on the bird up. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I for one, um, I I'm like publicly on record thinking that he was going to stay. Um, <clears throat> I personally would have kept him in the building uh, just because obviously we interviewed a couple of people last season and they all seem to kind of just point to him as the leader, which is something that like, I think we're severely lacking. Um, on top of that, when he did play, other than obviously when he came back against Wigan, I'd always felt that he was probably the best defender at the club. Um, 
But at the same time, you know, can we really afford... I mean, Jake Clark sort of just went down in pre-season, didn't he? Can we really afford a defender who I think has averaged like 18 games a season for seven years now? Mm, you know, it's it's, it's 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 one of those ones where I would have liked to have kept him, but I can't say I'm particularly like gutted that he's gone either. It's just like, uh, fair enough, you know. He clearly never wanted to leave Rangers. Um, I, think it's, I think it's interesting that he's gone back to um, McBeal, um, but after what he'd said at the training ground about us the second time that McBeal's left him high and dry, but clearly liked Rangers, so you know, this is what it is. I mean, I, you know, I'm shrugging just, my shoulders. I think it's just sort of frustrating because it brings up the sort of, you know, from last season, there was so much, the whole situation around him, I, I think I said before, I felt was really mismanaged. Like there was, when the, all these rumours start to exist. The club didn't kind of shut it down. And the club is aware of what goes on on social media. They have social media managers. They are aware of stuff that's said about them. Everyone is. It's very hard not to be aware of that sort of thing. I mean, you know, that's just the case. That's just the way it is. And that sort of area space was allowed to be created where people were really laying into him. And then you have pe- him inviting people to the training ground to have a sort of clear the air discussion, which I felt was bonkers. And it's like the one thing that, you know, people threaten to do, but it should never happen because you don't actually come out of it sort of squeaky clean. Most of the, more often than not, it doesn't clear the air. And I don't really think it cleared the air too much in that situation. Um, I'm kind of happy that this, whole situation has finally come to an end but it could it had to i guess just end in a little bit more typical sort of stupid qpr way where we've taken him away on pre-season tour not been able to get him to sign the deal that whether they say, will say they offered to him or not probably did because otherwise why is he there um you know and he's gone now so that's all you need to sort of worry. You don't have to worry about it anymore. But I just found it frustrating that yet again, oh, we're going to have to talk about Glasgow Rangers. Going to have to think about McBeal and think about Balogun and and all this sort of stuff. It should have just been a clean break at the end of last season, and it should have been right. We're recruiting for X amount of centre backs this year, you know. Um, but like you said, now Mike uh, Clark sort of goes down in the first game. <laughs> of the season you know, no one is surprised by that perhaps apart from Clark Silver himself <laughs> and uh you know we've sold Rob Dickey as well so it's Jimmy Dunn by himself now that's all it's going to be Jimmy Dunn for the whole season um and a couple you know a couple of seasons ago a lot of QPR fans would have said that Jimmy Dunn was capable of doing it all by himself and he was doing it all by himself but he very well might have to come start the season with a load of youngsters all around him um because the sheer turnover of players um, it is massive. I mean, I don't know if it's even if it's bigger or than the turnover when Warburton first came in, but in terms of minutes played, and this is something that Steve uh, QPR Analytics has been key to highlight, the amount of minutes played that just disappeared from the squad is absolutely. Massive. You know, you've got Senny Dieng's gone, Martin's gone, Johansson's gone, Dickie's gone, Shadipo has gone, <laughs> uh, Amos, Hamalainen, and 
Masterson, who a couple of seasons ago was sort of like, you know, playing quite regularly, probably going to be a decent-ish player for the future. And what we brought in to replace, we've got two sign-ins, maybe three. I mean, we might be getting Begovic soon. Um, and I don't know what you guys think of that, but, you know, th- this is going to be something that's I running over the to, summer. Yeah, just to extend, uh, extend, expand on that point that um, Steve made, because I saw I saw the graph from Steve, and I think that something like 44% of minutes from last season has gone. I think what is worth highlighting as well is a lot of the players that have gone probably played like a significant portion of minutes the season before and the season before that. I mean, Dickie been a mainstay in the team for three years. Same with Senny. Amos, you know, he's in and out, but, you know, he's been part of the club for, what, four years, playing, like, other than the injuries, playing semi-regularly for four years. It's, um, I do come back to the Warburton summer a lot as, like, a sort of silver lining, but I don't think we lost this many sort of key players. If that made sense, I'm sure we'll get on to Dykes. Obviously, him staying is like a massive, massive plus for us. But I'm looking at what we've lost. I'm looking at what we need to make up. And I'm looking at the time we have left. And I'm starting to get pretty concerned. Ben, are you in a similar boat? I mean, we all know. And it's unf- it's it's a shame that Sam can't be with us to discuss <laughs> his love for Paul Smith. But we all know... Um, what he will offer the the left back is a slight sort of unknown quantity, but I think a positive signing on the face of it. And I'm glad that we've actually for once got that left back position fully covered with two players that are ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's just a position of strength. However you look at it, Kenneth Powell is a good footballer. How good do you think he is? That's whatever. He's a good footballer. And we've got another footballer who we own, who is young and you know, I, yeah, that's really good. I'd love to see something similar in the right back position, whether that's someone who comes in ahead or behind of Kakai, I don't mind, but to have two players who are, who are genuinely sort of in that, in that group. Um, Yeah. I mean, like looking at that Warburton summit, we lost a lot of, of, of players who have played, you know, huge roles, huge within the context of the fairly underwhelming seasons that we've been having. Um, And we recruited pretty well. Like generally speaking, for every every slight dud, you had a Barbe or a, you know or a Ball or a Wallace who played sort of good roles, even if they sort of didn't have that like longevity and, and sort of impact or whatever. Um, it's such a boring answer. It just depends what we do now. I think most of the outgoings have been the correct thing to do. Like Dickie's time here was up, and that was clear. I think we extracted as much money as we could have expected from Senny, given that he was near enough to being an academy product as pointed out on, on Twitter, and I can't remember who by, I'm afraid, but he was a third-choice keeper who ended up in the team because our first and second choice weren't up to it. We've ended up getting, what, two good seasons and one okay season out of him and getting a couple of million pounds. That's fine. Like I'm absolutely fine with that. It's what we do next and, and how long we have to do it. When does the window close? Uh, we got till 31st of August, I think. Um... Yeah, so a while. Like the thing is as well, most of our signings will be freeze as well. So that goes on beyond the August deadline. If they're out of contract, you just sign a player up. You're not having yeah, to yeah. place bids. And I think the amount of bids we'll place on players is going to be very, very limited. The thing that worries me is that the emerging rumours now are kind of the, everyone has at some point played with Ainsworth at Wickham. It's, it's yeah. a real sort of, um, jobs for the boys situation maybe not as uh, sort of 
poorly managed as <clears throat> in a financial sense. These guys will come in um, and will probably be on the lower end sort of deals coming from Wickham up to the championship. But, you know, I think when I say jobs for the boys, a lot of people will sort of cast your minds back to the Harry Redknapp spending, you know, giving Cranchar, uh, Yossi Benayoun, all these sort of players, whether they played roles or not, they were players that had played under Redknapp before on extortionate deals. It's not going to be the same case. Yeah, it's it's the, the big question mark is the quality of these players. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, but uh, maybe I'm being, I might be really naive here and tell me if I am, but if we're doing jobs for the boys, like Ainsworth is the guy that I'd want doing that, if you see what I mean, there may be issues with quality, but I trust his assessment of character much better than like most managers I could think of. Maybe it goes horribly wrong and I'm made to look an idiot for that, but I don't want us doing jobs for the boys. I wish we had a new director of football in situ already. I, I know that we'll get to that, but I have a small amount of faith that at very least we'll be recruiting good servants. Um, whether that's enough, I don't know. Well, let's um, talk about a director of football leaving because I think a big part of this summer for QPR or for people in QPR land on Twitter is um, the rise, the continued rise, let's say, of the in of the ITKs, the people that are supposedly in the know that feed us so much lovely information and we hang on every word that they say. Um, it was a big story teased right at, sort of at the start of the summer, and that turned out pretty obviously to be Les Ferdinand stepping down from his position as director of football. Um, you know, the key issues there were that the players that Ainsworth wanted to bring in weren't the players that Les wanted, supposedly, and also, uh, Ainsworth wasn't wanted by. Ferdinand in the first place, which to be honest, I that point I don't really care about because when you're on your third manager of the season, you don't get who you want, you get who's available. Whether if someone's willing to leave the club they've worked very hard at for like seven years and come to manage you at QPR, you just take it because that's all you've got. Um, how, what's it say about what Ainsworth wants to bring in that? After everything that Les has overseen at QPR, with board members essentially ignoring him on appointments, and perhaps you know managers getting a lot of sway over what they want, that he's looked at this summer and the players that Ainsworth want, and he's he, even him has just decided, yeah, that's enough for me. I'm sorry, but I'm going to go, Micah. I think. Here's the thing. Everybody's gone with this this West London sport line where he said about transfer time. So there's two schools of thought, right? So West London sport have gone with this. He spoke with Ainsworth about transfer targets and decided that they didn't agree. So it was time to end it. He himself said at the training ground that it was basically just to do with the, the fan abuse that was just getting too far. And I think, I think let's be let, let's be honest. It it had run its course with Les. I was I I was a big supporter of Les, and I had felt that he's judged far too harshly. But we now reached the point where there was just far too much scrutiny on the director of football. I think there's this amongst some of the fans. There's this idea that like once we got rid of the director of football, everything will be fine. Like the people that weren't running the club before Les Ferdinand, the people that weren't hamstringing Les Ferdinand in the early years weren't still running the club. So I think now people are kind of waking up to the fact that, oh, okay, maybe it wasn't actually all Les's fault. But 
the whole thing with transfer targets, I imagine it's both because, I mean, imagine you're Les, right? And like you, you, you advocated for Gary Rowett to come in, and then your the your boss says, "Oh, we're going with um Ian Holloway because the the guy that runs the media team said he was a good manager ten years ago." I love Ollie, right? But you know what I mean. And it's like yeah. it's Les for those three years taking the flat. Oh, Les wanted this guy, and he's Les wanted that guy, and blah blah blah. blah, blah. McLaren comes in. Oh, why did Les get us Tomar Hemmer? Blah, 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 blah. He's probably looking at the situation he had where he was able to pick Warburton, he was able to pick Beal. Whether or not he got full say on transfers then is one thing, but at least the one, at least when it was going well, he was getting credit of, oh, yeah, yeah, Les, I guess it's working with Les. Blah, 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 blah. He's probably looking at the situation now where people are just blaming him for like their divorces at this point and being like, and just being like, well, me, I didn't want this guy as a manager and we don't align in our transfer targets. And it's pretty clear that he was having less say at the club. Um, it's like, well, why would I want to get blamed again? If this goes wrong, if like, if, if my hands aren't all over this, like what, what if, what if Akin Fenwar does come out retirement and play for us and, and, and I get abused for it. Like, so I, 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 I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's a mixture of things, but all in all, I think it probably, it probably was the right time for me. Be honest yeah um regardless of that i mean it still leaves us in a pretty wobbly situation sort of with the running of the football club side and the actual football rather than sort of in the business sense you've got like a big big hole there does that concern you going into this season or do you think anyway regardless of who's sitting there as director of football Angel's getting what he wants anyway. Um, I don't know. I, I I will say that I did think the timing at first was really odd because I thought that they'd announced it so sort of like we, we were like well into June when it was announced. Because it, it was truly like stepping down after sort of like there must have, you know, there, there would have been a buildup of events that led to that. This wasn't, and it must have been a pretty. Uh, I'm not gonna say he didn't think about it, but this would have, there would have been something that sort of like this is the final straw. I can't do this anymore. Whereas, because yeah. if he if he was stepping down at the end of the season, like you said, it'd be done then. You know, if he was getting sacked, it would have been done a lot earlier. This is clearly very much they were happy with Les, but he's gone. Nope, not anymore. Can't do this. Yeah, I just thought it was weird from a perspective of like. We were right into the we were right into the off season by that point. Mm. So I assume that they'd announced it because they'd had somebody lined up. But it sounds like we're even a month away from that. I, I would so, be surprised if it's a, if we get someone in a month. Not that's not me sort of saying from a position of me knowing anything. I would just be shocked. Like I just think this is gonna run and run and run. If like, you were a football if you were a football executive, Alex or Ben, right, and you'd I don't know, you're working your way up through the lower football leagues. You got yourself like a um I don't know, like a nice a nice little job in, in League One and you're thinking, oh, QPR jobs available. Oh, they they slid down the league a bit last year, but they stayed up. I'm taking over midway through August. Would you take that job? Oh, well, you I start on the back so. foot, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Because you've probably it's... already done a lot of work at Club X in League One, haven't you? Yeah, you've you've worked hard to get players in already, or you're you're close to getting players in. 
yeah i don't i don't think it people aren't it's not an attractive proposition at the moment is it and if if it oh. is then people are we, we are living off the the residual of Eze again aren't we <laughs> sort of yeah like... i mean it, it it would be the director of football equivalent of the timing of ainsworth joining us except ainsworth is a club legend who's got that link and he really wants to so unless like gino padula's knocking around at you know uh, barnsley or whatever there's not that same pool and i don't but but jo- like jokes aside yeah i think it you you start and you are immediately getting blamed for stuff but then actually if a director of football joined us back in the start of june they'd still be getting blamed for stuff by now like and i think to some extent you know that if you work in football so i, I don't know i don't know whether it affects our ability to appoint someone but i think you've got to write off that anyone we appoint is not making a significant impact this summer like it's already we know what we're doing. You're not going to have a change of tact where we suddenly start making very director of football-y signings immediately after signing like Lewis Wing and Paul Smith and whoever else. So, I don't know. Funny thing is, I saw on Twitter someone say that, you know, there's never any money to improve the club and to improve facilities for fans. But when it comes to appointing a director of football, they go and spend money on this American firm that are going to recruit for us. It's sort of like... Right, I can see your point in the very literal sense, in sort of like they're spending money. How dare they? But also at the same time, like, isn't giving it into, you know, giving this appointment into the hands of people that supposedly should know what they're doing? Is that much better than Ruben just sort of picking some guy out of a hat? Like this, <laughs> this is spending yeah. money it, to improve the football club. It is better, and I and I will back spending money on things like recruitment over things like renaming stands and that sort of thing uh but um what i will say is that when the club announced uh, or when west london sport rather reported um i think it was that uh the club would be using this sort of new recruitment whatever it's an agency did say that they'd work for psg and real madrid yep yeah that's not a glowing reference no (laughs) they're big clubs psg psg and barcelona as well Sorry, Barcelona, yeah. not Real Madrid. Or was it Real Madrid? No, well? no, 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 it's both. It's all Barcelona three. and Real Madrid. All right, well, Barcelona's another great case study for you there. Like, I... And if, yeah, if yeah. you're not aware, then I think it was in, in the Telegraph today, there's an, a report on a load of money that's kind of, I think, think, just they're not sure where it's gone at Real Madrid. They've lost Absolutely. it. So, like, um, you know, these are big clubs that do very well on being big clubs, but they're bit, it's, it's a weird financial situation. You can't, I don't know, do we then trust these people? I'm not sure. Regardless, I think anyone that isn't the QPR board making the appointment, that's fine by me. That's absolutely fine. Right. Um, let's talk about spending money to improve the club in the form of a training ground, something that's been long coming for a number of years. We couldn't get a, uh, can't get a new stadium, so we'll just have a better training ground. Much needed, though, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Like, I've, I've, got, I've got relatively little to say other than like, yeah, it is investment. Like, these owners have made mistakes. There's problems at the club. Whatever. This is just good. It's, I, I do feel like the amount that it's been talked about since it's been announced means that it kind of feels like a cliche to say that it's good. And for anyone who watched Lyndon Dykes' interview when he was asked why he stayed at the club and extended his contract, which again, I think we'll get to, um, he sort of said like, well, he said he, he said he thought the club was going in a great direction. And I sort of looked at that and went, well, what direction is that? But then he also mentioned the training ground about 10 times because he'd probably been asked to, I would imagine. 
Yeah, um, there was a gun in the back of his head off camera. That you could... Yeah, exactly. The club's very keen to get the word out that this is a big investment and this is a good thing, but I do think it is. Yeah. Um, Les also gave a very emotional, nice speech at the opening, proving that he's not some horrible bastard. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost like all the people that are involved with QPR, even despite their mistakes, actually care about the club. Who would have thought it? Um, but yeah, just just to exta- um, expand on Ben's point, that um, I do think it's a good thing. Um, and I think, you know, people had been saying for a while, actually, really, that the training ground is more important than the players. The players are at the the players are at the stadium twice a month, you know, every other week, you know, they're at the training ground three, four, five days a week sometimes. Um, so that was almost more important than uh, than the stadium or more important to get done first. So I think the fact that um, they've got it done and it does seem to, because it does look good, I'll be honest, like as cynical as I can be, it does look really good. It does look Premier League standard and a lot of money's gone into it. So um yeah, it, you know, it's it's a reason to be cheerful, I think. Uh, what I really want to know, though, is on a scale of 1 to 10, Ben, how much does this resemble a sixth form? Yeah, this is my theory that I came up with. It looks like a new build sixth form. Um, sometimes at, at my work in local media, we see photos of new school buildings that have been built in the Cardiff and South Wales area. And um, the QPR training ground would not look unfamiliar as a new building for sort of Fitzalan High School or something. But that's not a criticism. I just think it's quite funny. It it all has a quite a, a style though, isn't it? It's sort of like um, brand new, very clean, but at the same time, kind of, or well, we've maybe sort of drawn costs back there. Not 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 saying they've been holding money back, but sort because of, when you build something from scratch, you can't have unless you've got uh, they they say it's state of the art, but you cannot have state of the art absolutely everything. So there is some like you know withdrawn aspects to it, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, when when you talk about oh, it's Premier League standard, it's Premier League standard. You're sort of muttering like Wolves or like Brentford <laughs> or something like. It's not Man City. No one's asking for it to be Man City. I would hope. Like we're, we're asking um, it to be twentieth in the Premier League. We're happy with that. Like, <laughs> well, don't know about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a good investment. I'd love to see the actual knock-on impact of it. Like we always sort of talk about, oh, you can show players around and then they'll go, oh, this is somewhere that I want to be. And I mean, I have no doubt playing at sort of rented training grounds that change every couple of years is not good. But you've got to like look back on it in about five years. I feel like I'm a stuck record just saying, like, we'll see how it goes. But like you've got to look back on it in five years and go, have we managed to attract a better calibre of player through this? Have we been able to spend our money more wisely because we're more able to get the targets that we set out rather than the second, third, fourth choices for the profile of player that we're looking for? Um and it does, I mean, for as long as Ainsworth is sort of really controlling the signings, that might not be as apparent. I think we're almost looking at next summer, if we've got a director of football in, whether or not Ainsworth has gone well. Say Ainsworth does do well this season, keeps us up relatively comfortably, and we go, OK, now we're going to adapt this style of football and fit a more structured recruitment. Can we then attract the players that we want um, after a season on the cheap and with a new training ground and everything hopefully in place? A lot of things could go wrong before then. Yeah, and the other thing as well is the the youth side of it as well. Having that all under one roof, you are one club. You're not sort of like first teams over there down the road. Your youth team, youth team guys, you're here. You've got to go literally very far, and also 
in your game, you've got to go very far to get to that first team. There's an obvious pathway that you can see the players, they'll train with the players, they'll be involved. And there is yeah. a lot more youth player involvement, whatever, anyway. Well, um, but having that sort of like, this is where you're going to develop as a footballer, look how nice it is. This is where you're going to spend the start of your career. That will attract players as well. Because, you know, we are still living off the Eze money uh, to a certain extent. And we, I think at the back of everyone's mind is the hope that you'll get the little Sky Sports notification saying Club X have paid this amount for Iberi Eze. And right, get that, you know, percentage out. How much are we get in off Palace, that sort of thing. We're hoping for him to save us a second, third, fourth, fifteenth time round, whatever. But there's got to be other players like Eze. There's got to be another chair. There's got to be better stuff in general you know yeah and and it's probably coincidence but this has happened at a time where we're going to have a lot more youth player involvement like even if we sign well this summer i think we are it looks to me like we've got more young players uh involved in the pre-season than we did last season i'd have to check Absolutely. that to be doubly sure but um and whether it's that you know we've got a few players sort of of the kind of ryan collie level where like it doesn't have to happen for them this season but they're looking to to push through We've had a lot of those over, over the past few years. The, since chair, the only big success probably being, um, well, not big success, just the only one to become an established first team player is maybe Sinclair Armstrong. And there's a lot that we've got to see from him still. And technically, but, um, Sunny Zhang as well. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Although he'd been out on loan around when chair was breaking through, so that was sort of happening at the same he time. Like, the same, the, he was in that same under twenty three. Yeah, yeah. Darnell Furlong for a little bit. I'll say Samuel that, that yeah. team. And 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 I, I guess just my point is like. If that pathway is something that will be improved by the training ground, um, we're at a time where it would be really useful for that to actually come true. Yeah, I mean, just on on the point of the youngsters as well, the club. It, I I don't remember this many youngsters being on a preseason, even during the early Warburton days when I think Warburton was trying to play nice with Les and and the board and have more of the youngsters in. I don't remember this many. I mean, even the other week, I think Dion Woodman and Harry Hawkins just flew out, didn't they? in the week as well um so yeah i think you're right i don't know if you guys have seen all the um the, the press they've been doing on charlie kelman since pre-season as well um it sounds like he's going to be involved next yeah. season it, 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 that's not the, the the i don't know if you read the interview on the website but it, it didn't give off the tone of a man who's like oh i'm getting ready to go on another loan spell in league two that was the tone of a man who thinks that he's going to be involved this season. Well, that would fit the time frame, really, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd probably, you'd hope for a bit better. I don't know, like, I couldn't tell you his stats off the top of my head, but I know he played in League 2 last he season. Seven, he got seven goals yeah. um, last season, which, you know, on the surface doesn't look great, but Leighton Orient fans seem to like him, and they've made the point that actually their top scorer was Paul Smith, who only got 10. They weren't. They they were more of a. It was more of like a collective sort of team effort as opposed to having like standout players up front. Apparently, so you also forget the fact that he's twenty one. I forgot that he was twenty one. Like if you, if this is a player who came through. Sorry, is he twenty one or he's young? Yeah, but I, I was just I was just scanning the um the interview. It says twenty one, unless QPR have got it wrong, which maybe you know, twenty one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if he'd have come through our own under eighteens. He would have barely been on our radar until he went to. Well, no, he'd been on. Okay, he'd been on loans in the high. My point is basically, there's only pressure on him at this point because we paid a fee and we want to see that 
be yeah um you know retrospectively become good business if he had come through our own ranks and he was sort of starting to get goals in league two at around 21 you'd be looking at him and going okay maybe in a year or two then we could be we could have a player on our hands but the reality of the situation is that we bought him and we want to see return yeah yeah not to interrupt but that same point i think with the paul smith signing if it was uh if i feel like if paul smith had never been at qpr yeah. and he'd come as a 25 26 year old off the back of a decent season in league one people would i feel like people would be like oh yeah you know they'd probably be a bit more on board with it well it's league two for, for smith but yeah um the thing is with smith right is that he is he i mean maybe league two for calvin he, as well he didn't have the quality <laughs> that you would sort of people were desperate for but he was never bad i'd say no there was I always felt he never got a fair, fair. I, I was never yeah. sure. I think successive, only really Ollie gave him a fair crack. But... And even then, it was inconsistent because it was Holloway. And <laughs> it was around that sort of time where, again, you've got Shadipo, who I don't know who in the club really liked Shadipo, but someone must have loved him because like, we knew at a certain point. You know, he's not going to be playing in the first team. He's probably going to be out on loan or not involved at all, just sort of wasting a couple of years away as a footballer. Whereas, like I said, Paul Smith never had that crack. You know, he never got, I don't know whether he decided to walk away because he was getting treated inconsistently, but there was always a player there. I was always confident in that. And it, like I said to you guys when he signed, it's like he's gone, we've accidentally found him a good loan for three years and he's come back to us because we haven't lost anything from it have we just not been paying his wages for the last three years he may as well have been on loan at Leighton Orient yeah I just think it's I just think it's a it's a cool same with same with Larkesh where like I don't know much about him but I'm sure he's better than um than Hamalainen same with Smith I mean as I said I was never sure if he was going to make it in the championship, just because he's such an unknown quality, like he seems like a winger, but his delivery is kind of okay-ish. And like, he seems like a striker, but he's not necessarily your quintessential striker type, but you know, it's, it's a player there. Like it's, it's got to be better than, you know, Shadipo coming on Burnley at home, you know, to, <laughs> to lose the ball every five minutes. But, yeah. Uh, Dykes' new deal then. Um, I mean, you can imagine this made me very happy. He's uh, uh, first, by the way, mention of Scottish football for. I was about season. to chime in and say it's begun. I mean, he'd just come off an international break, which went incredibly well for Scotland. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to. Incredibly well for him. Yeah, incredibly well for him as well. He, he was involved in both goals in the win over Norway and got a higher rating on some football app than Erling Haaland in the same game. And as we know, that's how modern football goes. You know, that's how, how everyone realises that you're a, a fantastic footballer. Yeah, you'll never sing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't need to go too much into it, but I've always thought that the way that Steve Clark has utilised Dykes has been much better than nearly any QPR manager. He just seems to have a greater understanding of him. I don't know whether it's it is, and you know, with international football, there is a lot more of a sort of passion thing because you're playing for your country, even though he's he is uh, Aussie Australian, as well. Yeah. But you know, he's playing for his parents are actually Scottish, as I understand. 
and he's very behind the whole sort of Scottish identity. And when you've got that on your back, it's more than just playing for a club that you might leave in three years, you know. So you're I'm not saying he tries harder for Scotland, but there's certainly no, it's understandable. I don't think you can, love, you yeah, know? I don't think you can blame a player for like having an extra five percent when they're playing for their country. I think that's yeah. just sort of like that's especially, hard especially, and it's an, like, it's an extra five percent. It's not a it's not a lesser five percent when he's playing for QPR. Yeah, it's just that you find this within you, especially your maximum got, like, level. Someone like him playing in a Scotland side that has been on the up the last couple of years, it would have been the same with the Welsh players for that first European Championships and leading into this World Cup. They've got they are on the nation on the rise a little bit. You know, there's that yeah. extra level to the games and, that they play in. And then also having watched Wales over like the past couple of home games in Cardiff, like when Bale goes and when the World Cup sort of ended, you know, a bit disappointingly. You can see the players that usually really elevate themselves playing for Wales, who, not for want of trying, just don't quite do it in the same way on an individual game basis. So, yeah, that, that momentum with an international team is massive. And from what everything I can see about Scotland fans at the minute, I, if I was Lyndon Dykes, I'd be scoring goals as well. Like... Regardless, he's signed the new deal. It... It's important on so many different points. You know, if a bid comes in, we can afford to say, no, you've got to pay this much to take this player that is under our contract for X amount of years. At the very basic minimum, he secures another player to play for us this season. Also, it's a key player, a very important player, because last season you saw how often he played. You can see already the, you know, the players that are probably going to be in reserve behind him in striking. We've talked two of them there. You've also got to remember Sinclair Armstrong, although is he a winger? Is he a striker? Who knows? We don't really know where all four, well, those three players behind him is going to fit in this season. They're all incredibly young and it's going to be, unless something significant changes, the goal scoring threat is going to come from Dykes this season. Now, you can say as well that he's probably one of the players that fits Ainsworth's football quite well. Absolutely, Someone who can yeah. actually win the ball in the air and puts a lot of pressure on uh, back lines. You know, that is a tick in the box, at least for two things for Ainsworth and his effort possibly is the third. But it is just a good bit of business to get this over the line, isn't it? it it's such a best of both worlds situation. Like I've, I've said on this podcast time and time and time again, that we need to actually just tear the bandaid off and start selling players. And without the new contract, I would have had to have begrudgingly gone. If we can get any money for Dykes, we probably should. I said it when the, the supposed Millwall and Rangers bid started to materialize over the winter. Um, even though he is key to Ainsworth's style, even though I really like him and I think we'd be quite lucky to get as decent a striker in the market. It is a massive gamble. I would have had to have supported selling him. The idea that we can at very least get one more season out of him and then do the same, even if it's not for massive money, even if he's in his late twenties and it's a couple of million, like the fact that we can do both, we we can we can get that little bit of money back, and also he can probably keep us up this season if there's any job that he's going to be doing for us. I think it's massive. Yeah, it's it's a huge. It's as good as a signing. It's a you know. I think objectively as well, if you take a QPR hat off, it's actually a very smart decision from him. Because if, if he was if he was to leave this summer, let's say he goes to Millwall for three odd mil, has a decent ish season, goes to the Euros, let's say he scores a couple of goals at the Euros, has a Hal Robson Carney moment. I can see Alex getting excited at the prospect of Scotland being in the Euros. Um <laughs> but he, let's say hypothetically that happens, um, he probably gets priced out of a move. 
like if he's just moved clubs, do you know what I mean? If he's just gone to Millwall, Millwall say, yeah, that's oh, a really good point. You've just paid three million for you, so we want, and you've just scored at the Euros. We want 15, 16 mil. Whereas if he does it here, has a decent season, scores yeah. a couple of Euros, I kind of there, there's 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 no one at QPR that I can recall ever that has ever we've never forced anybody to stay anywhere as they wanted to go. We let them go. When Lee Cook, <laughs> I don't know if Lee Cook wanted to go to Fulham, but when the money was there for Lee Cook years ago, Lee Cook went and I cried like a baby. But like that's it, like <laughs> yeah, that, that's it, right? Like if if it works out for him, he'll get a move. He knows he'll get a move. You know, it, I think it was a smart decision from him and his agents. So. Absolutely, and what you're saying about Scotland, there, you know, you make. I'd be very, very excited to see Scotland back in another tournament. You said that we might. He's going to score a couple of goals. If I see a QPR Scottish player score goals in an international tournament, oh my god, <laughs> that is that is no words to describe how I'd feel in that situation. I was there for the one goal Scotland scored in the last Euros, <laughs> and, and <laughs> consequently the two others that we conceded to a very, very, very good Croatia side. Um, and we went. We were very happy after that one goal. So. <laughs> at yeah. least two I mean, goals oh wow just to, to touch upon this briefly because it's again since the last pod it's happened Eze getting an England cap what's yeah. the call up a cap like the, the weirdest thing for me I missed out no that was the um, that was Joey Barton's activities on Twitter um, okay. but right. um, <laughs> no as a playing for England because I sort of realised that these past few years, I've been sort of quietly willing Palace to do well. I mean, I've never had anything against Palace as a club. I like them, but I've sort of had this thing of like wanting them to win because I want Eze to be the key player and doing well for them. But then suddenly I realised, no, I support QPR in England. This podcast doesn't go out in Wales, does it? That's fine. <laughs> no, I was, I was going to say, um, it's, it's funny that you brought up the Palace thing because my, my family's from Sydenham, which is southeast London, and it's like maybe like 20 minutes drive like the house where my dad grew up and I guess where I used to live um to Selhurst Park so I've always kind of like being QPR like hated Palace a little bit because like everybody that I knew was Palace right so like the last few years have been really weird like I'm watching Palace and I'm like cheering Palace on because <laughs> of this guy that, that played for us for like three years so um there's also the little sort of brief history like it's quite modern history but there was a very brief period in time if you can believe it the the league was very northern and uh palace was like the closest club to us wasn't it roughly around yeah. the time that warnock was actually at the club yeah. and warnock, they were kind yeah. of they were like you know obviously there was the added spice of warnock being ex-palace as well there was that kind of big kind of well i'm not gonna say big rivalry it's just like okay there's another london club because you know, Charlton it was a big thing when we put, when yeah. we put Warnock off Palace. So I remember it was a big thing at the time. They were really upset about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was lovely to see. I, I got really excited just to see him in the squad, and then to see him actually come out and play quite well as well. It was. I was disappointed. I can't remember what the second game was, but he didn't get off the bench there. Um, you know, I, I was also sort of begrudgingly sort of having to admit that. Trent actually did well in both those games, you know, wearing the number 10 shirt and he's actually a right back. That was, um, uh, I thought, tough to take from my point of view at the start of the game. You wanted Eze to have the 10, didn't you? I just wanted him to play. I, and then you you find out that the right backs play in attacking midfield just because, like, he fancied it, I guess. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just... 
I'd love if that was the team talk. Southgate was like, oh, well, you know, no Foden. Um, do you fancy it, Trent? Like, oh, yeah. Well, no, you see, the thing is, this sort of thing does happen because um, I'm going to mention cricket here. The other day, you know, you might be aware that the Ashes is on at the moment and England played their last innings in the third test match in a really important run chase to keep the series alive. If they lost, that's it, done. But the day before, the night before, they they had like they, they had to like move the batting order around because of an injury, and one of the players went up to the coach and just went, "Can I bat three tomorrow? You know, I just fancy batting three. I think it'll be good." He went, "Yeah, go on, do it," and he went and did it. Like, and it it worked out in the end because the right player was in the right place, lower down the order. But the guy at number three just went in. He just fancied a go, and he got a go. So that's what Trent did. Obviously, he just went up to Gareth yeah. and went like, "Sort of, can I can I play number 10? He's like, "Ah, oh, it's only Malta." Yeah, without me knowing the first thing about cricket, like the difference there is that whatever cricket thing you've just described has not been the subject of the most irritating, boring Twitter conversation for the last five years. No, oh, it's just, it's just been the the same Twitter conversation, but for the last couple of months, that you know, or last couple of weeks, because the injuries only happened quite recently but yeah you know that happens at international sport you know in the p- biggest game of the english cricket season so far <laughs> it's just bizarre um let's move on to final qpr matters um ben you said just before we record in about tony fernandez that you can't remember too much from that time and i was gonna to have to carry the brunt of that so i'm very glad that micah did turn up in the end um to because... be clear by the way it wasn't like i was on some sort of big kind of booze fe- like you made it sound like i can't remember it because i've sort of like i just wasn't as into football i got into football relatively late i think it's a matter of record i i do remember 2014 <laughs> you dragged your reputation through the mud this whole podcast <laughs> <laughs> but micah um you know, you've said many a times about the sort of Uncle Tony days on Twitter. It, it was very clear from the last couple of seasons that he was taking a big backward step away from the club in the running of it. Not exactly surprising then to see him completely out of the picture altogether. Yeah, random one. I was tipped off about this about two days before it happened. But the uh, amount of... ITK, he's ITK. Micah, ITK, Chudley. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> Micah, all caps. <laughs> I, won't, yeah. <laughs> I won't say I won't say who tipped me off because they listen to this podcast. But I was tipped off because the amount of like ITK crap that's going around at the moment. I was like, this is just it's just too good to Let's be true. Like, Tony Fernandez is selling his shares. Like, All right, whatever. But it happened. Um, I I remember a distinctive sadness, not because he's going, and not because I think he's done a particularly good job. But because I think the intention was there. Now, I think that the, the new thing to say about Tony in rebuttal to, oh, he did care about QPR was, oh, he was just using QPR to, to build a metropolis, um, which may be true. But I, I just get the impression that it would be cheaper just to buy up a load of houses in London than buy a football club, spend 100 mil, get relegated, then spend another 200 mil to make up for the money that you spent getting relegated that's that's just me I don't know I'm not a businessman I don't have that kind of money but I just find that hard to believe um but all in all you you have to say it, it was a it was a disaster unfortunately um it, it from minute one I mean 
those of us that remember the Uncle Tony days on Twitter will remember he was liking and replying to tweets, oh, sign Joey Barton, we need Joey Barton type thing. Oh, sign Sean Wright Phillips, he's available. And it's like, it's probably not how a football club should be run, really. But I think we were, <laughs> we were all so excited after years of, like, you know, putting up with guys that have been released from other championship clubs and finishing mid-table and Flavio just kind of just, like, pressing implode every three months that we were like, oh, God, Sean Wright Phillips wants to play for us. Oh, Joey Barton wants to play for us. Oh, Armin Traore, he's quite highly rated at Arsenal. We'll have him. Um, same thing again when Hughes come in. Same thing again when Redknapp come in. I, I have a lot of sympathy for him with Redknapp because I think Redknapp came in with the, oh, you, you've been sold down the river by these guys. I won't do that to you. Also, uh, do you mind if I bring Cranchar back again? So... I feel I, I feel quite sorry for him. His biggest mistake probably was taking so long to appoint a director of football, whether or not you think it should have been Les. I think we can all agree that there should have been someone between Fernandez and the manager far sooner than there was. Um, but uh, yeah, I feel bad for him because I think he did want it to work. And I think he did care about QPR. And he a, a few times I even saw him sat in the loft in the family stand with the fans, which... Might be PR, might be a gimmick, but it felt genuine. Um, so yeah, overwhelming sadness, but probably again, like Les, probably the right time. The thing is about it as well is I found it so, so strange, and perhaps it's a little bit ironic that someone, like you said, that had such a vocal presence at QPR, that was just sort of like the face of running the club at the time, no matter how many shares he had was always on Twitter, was always vocal. In the end, his departure is just like a tweet from the club and that's it. There's no sort of grand thank you. There's no goodbye at a game. It's just like he's gone now and that's it. But I think effectively, really, he he stepped down after McLaren. Yeah. Because he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't chairman anymore. Oh, yeah. He was diluted. So I think effectively, like McLaren was his, his final Hail Mary, which didn't work. And then, you know, this was this has just kind of been coming since then type thing. Yeah, no, I can see that. But it's just the kind of quietness of it all. Just sort of like yeah. it, it's again kind of out of nowhere in the middle of the off season. We're just going to be he's going to sell his shares. I don't even know who who's he sold him to. No, I don't Is think it? we know. I mean, that's a... not been announced yet, but I think it's worth pointing out that um we should have said rest in peace to um, Ruben Nanalingam's um, father. Yes, of course, yeah. Absolutely. yeah um, never a nice thing to hear about. Never a nice thing to hear about. And it, it even feels distasteful discussing what I'm about to discuss. But obviously, I imagine, I think Ruben's his only son. So I imagine Mr. Mr. Nanalingam Sr. had quite a sizable fortune. So I imagine that's now been passed down to his son. So if I was a betting man, I imagine Ruben will probably buy up those shares. It's, it's difficult know. to say, isn't it? Yeah, it just, yeah. I suppose we wouldn't wouldn't know really. Um, but yeah, no. With the with the uh, Fernandez thing, it just kind of is like he's existed in the background. I I wouldn't say he's outstayed his welcome because his influence hasn't felt particularly clear over the last few years. But it ends with a fizzle rather than a bang, really. I guess. The worst yeah. part under him for me was always that sort of that red nap period. Um, in in the championship, this sort of like it felt like it was a new signing every week. If you compare that squad to the anemic squad that we've got right now, 
It's sort of like the very few bones of a squad at the moment. Whereas the the red Nat one was such a bloated mess of players. It'd be sort of like, oh, you, do you remember we still got this guy? Really, we still got him? I oh, I can't believe it because he's been played in sort of like X amount of months or sort of whatever. Or like you know, you know, and then out of nowhere, Tom Hitchcock would come and score a winner against Ipswich, and then never be seen again. You know, like it, the, the whole thing under Redknapp was so bizarre, and he he gets away with it. And I I actually thought it was that when they did that charity game, and he was back at the club managing a side on the touchline. I, I felt that I in a sense was invited back. Oh, and we were promoted it actively. I know it was for a good cause, but I was like, that's not something I want to see. I never want to see that man anywhere in line with a QPR ever again. Like, if you did a Harry Redknapp Forever Ours, I don't know if I would be able to sit through it. It's just, you know, but I think the tagline with, with uh, Tony Fernandez is that he had he had the money, he had the best intentions, he just put the faith in the wrong people. Yeah. I I remember as well, I think one thing that, I don't know if this influenced it or not, but I think Bessin, he did he did love a headline, didn't he? Because um, I remember, obviously, he'd been out of the picture for a while and then Austin made the big thing when he came back that it was Fernandez that called him and convinced him to come back and Fernandez was all on Instagram like, oh, Good to have my mate Charlie back, blah 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 blah. And then obviously the way it went with Charlie, I mean, you just have you just have to go on think think of the time markers of last season and the season before, right? Where things hadn't gone well. Just go on Tony Fernandez's Instagram, I don't know, April 2022 or or, or February 2023, and just look at the comments. And it's just yeah. like, yeah. And it and it might not be that all of our bad decisions recently have been down to his influence, but what kind of is clear from the social media is that he's liked a lot of the bad decisions that we've made um <laughs> so you know but i just hope we remember him by the sort of true lasting legacy that he's left to the world of football uh, tony fernandez which is of course um the atletico mince steve mclaren song is that, you saw does that, that land as a reference uh, yeah of course you, yeah. yeah you might have to explain that for the for the wider audience i'm sorry but it's going to be a third mention of jerry barton i thought you were going to say having Joey Barton carrying him on his shoulders around Wembley. That That is his impact on football. <laughs> no, I, I, I've been listening to Bob Mortimer's autobiography. I've been watching clips of Bob Mortimer and any opportunity to watch him pretend to be Steve McLaren um, singing about um, if we win the ball, try to get it back. If we lose the no, other way around. Anyway, you need to, I'm, I'm going yeah. on a tangent. <laughs> um, link under the, uh, under the podcast when it goes up. Is there... Anything else that we have missed from this? Well, uh, this 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 meeting's oh, going to yeah. run out of time. Kit kit's nice. I like the kits. Oh, the very bit God, the kit. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be something. That's yeah, good. And Jerry Francis is seventy-five years old with a mullet. Still, the the dedication to that mullet is is second to none. I just how to how did you? How ironic did you find it, Micah, that he was opening up the academy's sort of new? training ground in a sense it was mentioned by someone on twitter wasn't it that he he was the one that closed the academy in the first place or something like that yeah 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 i mean that 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 that's for a qpr historian a little bit deeper than me but that was a very 
weird period in the club, the Chris Wright years, because I think I think Chris Wright just stripped every asset available at QPR, and we were kind of left with no choice but to close the academy. But that that's that's a discussion for another day. Um, but yes, I saw the irony in it. Lovely. Um, it's nice. Um, youngsters in the squad. We'll wait and see in the next couple of weeks who signs. I mean, the one that we haven't mentioned, Asmir Begovic, presumably to be number one, a very out there signing in the sense of like, it doesn't necessarily track with what, I guess it's a leader, isn't it? It's someone very experienced, but you know, how many seasons are we getting out of him at the age of 36? You always assume that goalkeepers can go a little bit further. Yeah. But, um, I mean- I don't know. I quite I quite like it as a signing in that um I think really we're gonna find out what Mahoney's made of this season while he's out on loan at a decent football league club. So yeah. like if if he comes back from that loan having played every game of the season and done pretty well, then fine, get him in the first team, happy with that. Uh Walsh may have a chance in amongst Begovic playing and not playing. If we get to the end of this season, Walsh hasn't proven anything, Mahoney hasn't proven anything then we properly invest in a new keeper. And that's that's hopefully something we're in a position to do by then. But we don't have to now because we've got two options that may come good. And, and we can we've wait got out. professionally second choice Jordan Archer. Which is genuinely fine. Professional second choice is a great thing to have access to. Yeah, but I think for him, though, it's a little bit disappointing, is it not? Sort of like this is a clear opportunity for him to. Uh, he play must have a lot known from minute one. No, I mean when he came in, he was was he second choice? Was he third choice? Like, oh, no, 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 no. He would have known when he came in, he was doing a job then. But when you're second choice goalkeeper, you you have a good season. You've just sold a goalkeeper. You're probably looking at it going. This is my chance to play some regular football. Is it not? Well, but he knows that we've got two youth prospects that that we sort of want to try and get involved. I. I I think when you're a keeper, you can you can sign contracts knowing that you're not going to play very much, and that's always really struck me what this this has been with Archer. I think it's the best job in the world for a choice goalkeeper, especially at like Man City. Just to go up top Scott Carson's living the life, man. Yeah. Living the dream, man. He's living the dream. But he um, went out yeah, partying with Jack Grealish as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He doesn't even have to play, like, because he's not even second choice; he's third choice. Um, and the one I'm, game that he did play against Newcastle was the maddest thing I've ever seen, and it was really fun. Yeah, because he wasn't probably because he wasn't expecting it. Uh, <laughs> but as as a, like a stopgap for you, I completely agree with everything you said, Ben. As a stopgap for you, I don't love the signing, but um, as a stopgap, I, I can't hate it. Very experienced player, good goalkeeper, good shot stopper. You know, good commander of the defense as well, which we've definitely lacked from set pieces. So, hmm. absolutely. So we'll wrap it up here. Thank you very much for listening. It's been a pretty long opening. Uh, episode of the season and we'll probably give it a big old gap between this and the second one uh, so that we have plenty to talk about uh, so in next time thank you very much for listening and come on you us.